You can turn to Romans chapter 8, if you wish. We're only going to look at one little verse today, but it's a great verse. In many ways, I think our society, our culture, is really interested in niceness. You may look around you and say, well, not really. (laughs) But I think so. And the reason I say that is we get, I'm like Robert, excuse me, something about up here. Robert was teaching, he was clearing his throat. All right. But we get a lot of um, pushback. Don't, Don't be offensive. Don't offend people. That's nice. And things like, you know, we need to be tolerant of others. And that's nice too. And taken in the correct context, I think that's a really good thing. Uh, I, think we, it, I think we don't need to seek to offend others. I think we need to be tolerant of people's circumstances and their situations and you know, try to understand where they're coming from. I think that's very important. And it's nice to be nice. But it, we're not to put, place such a high value on these things at the expense of truth and maturity in Christ. I, I, I don't think I know of anywhere in the Bible that it says be nice or don't offend. Uh, the truth of the cross is offensive to some. The Bible tells us that it's offensive the message of the cross, and it's foolishness to some people. So when we teach Christ and we lift him up, it will be offensive to some. Now, don't preach it offensively. That's not our goal. Our goal isn't to be offensive. But when we just present the gospel, present the cross, it'll be offensive. And we don't know who will offend at those times. And part of that teaching, and the reason I bring this up is because in this section in Romans 8... I've been contrasting, and in in really more than just this section, but contrasting two, two sides, two choices. And that can be offensive to some. In this section, all the way through chapter 8, verse 17, we'll continually see this contrast between two different ways. Here today, we're going to see, really, there's only two families in the world. You're, you're either in one family or you're in the other family. You're either in the family of God or you're in the family of the devil. And we like to have this gray area of, well, we're not in either one. We're, we're hoping to get into one, but we're in between. But the Bible just lays it out and says that's the two choices. A lot of people think Jesus was nice. And he wasn't always. If, if, you, if you will, I'm going to read part of John chapter 8. And in John chapter 8, Jesus says some very offensive things. And if you read it and put yourself in that situation, he's having a conversation, he's having an argument, really, between some Pharisees, some very religious, church-going people who knew their Bible well and, and Jesus. And let me just read just a few verses of it where he, ta- he was talking about, I'm, testify- I, I'm the one who testifies for myself, verse 18. My other witness is the Father, he says, who sent me. 
Then they ask him, where is your father? And then he says, you don't know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And this is beginning this, this conflict that he's having with these men. Skip down, I think, to verse 30. Let's go down to verse 38. And uh, in that section, he says, um, I'm telling you what I've seen in my father's presence, and you do what you've heard from your father. And they say, well, Abraham is our father. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do the thing Abraham did. As it is, you're determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, that's one side, that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. They say, we're not illegitimate children. The only father we have is God himself. And if you go out in the world today and you talk to people, they'll say, yes, I love God. And, you know, I'm following God, just this very generic figure in the sky, just like, like these men. We're God, our only father is God. Then Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and am now here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. And he goes on. He almost got himself killed. You keep reading that. They're about to kill him. And that was very offensive. I mean, he just laid it out there. He said, if, you're, if you love God, you'd be following me. As it is, you are following your father, and it's the devil. And we don't like to see Jesus, I think, in that light. We like just to see him as a nice person. But Jesus laid out the truth at times. In this verse, we're going to see one side of that, that family. And this is the side of God as the father. And we're going to read this together where it just says, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And he starts out here, it's because, he, this is in the middle of a sentence actually, and all throughout the section, I've pointed it out many times, there are these linking words that are very important. And this word, because, or, or for, sometimes you see the word for, sometimes you see in order that, however, all those words that you read them, should help you link back to what he's saying. They're, they're trying to, 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 um, to connect thoughts here. And that's why this is important. And so he says this word for or because in this translation. And that word has been used eight times. This is the eighth time in this chapter this word is used. There's these linking things over and over. And it's going to be used another ten times. At least that's how many I, I counted. I just opened up my Bible and counted all those. And so 18 times he's linking, he's, he's helping us think things out. And he says, this, he, this is basically, this word is a term of explanation. It's clarifying. It's explaining something that's just been said. And so he's clarifying, he's explaining something, and he's explaining it this way. And that's important because we're looking at this little phrase, led by the Spirit of God. And often that little phrase is really misused in the world today. He's, he's explaining in the previous verse what that means. And he says, 
Because those, and that word those means this is an exclusive group. This is not everyone in the world. This is an exclusive uh, group. It means these and only these. And he says, because those special people are led by the Spirit of God. Let's, let's look at this, this word, this phrase, led by the Spirit. A lot of times when we hear led by the Spirit, we, we attach it to thoughts like, I feel the Spirit is leading me to fill in the blank. I feel the Spirit is leading me to go to this college. I feel the Spirit is leading me to take this job or not take this job. I, I, I feel the Spirit is leading me to speak to this certain person. But because of the word, because, because it's linking there, it's telling you that lead, being led by the Spirit is actually linked to killing sin in your life. Basically, he's saying when you kill sin in your life, and then my translation says mortifying the, I don't even know what it says. I think it says mortifying the deeds of the body or misdeeds of the body uh, or killing, oh, I, sorry, let me turn over to Romans 8 verse 13 um, because it says it different ways. 8.13 says, um, put to death, I knew it wasn't kill, put to death the misdeeds of the body. And so when you're basically saying, when you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you are being led by the Spirit. Last week we said that those who are in this area called the sin or the sinful nature or the flesh, or you know, we've been describing it in different ways, those who are in the flesh are more concerned about the consequences of their sins. They're not really concerned about sin. They're concerned about the consequences of their sins. But those who are in spirit, those who have come to Christ, and, and just I want you to think about this in your own life, doesn't, I mean, the consequence wakes you up sometimes. But what, does, what really bothers you? Isn't, isn't it the sin itself? And I think if we really evaluate ourselves, those of us who are in Christ, the sin bothers us because sometimes... I'm saying something, doing something, thinking something that's private. No one knows but me. I have the bad attitude in my mind. I haven't displayed it. I'm home alone. And it bothers me. There's no consequence at that time. But it bothers me because I know it's wrong. And the Spirit is leading when you're putting to death those things. Kill sin. We're led by the Spirit. And as I said, some think this is some kind of special leading. And I've often found that when people feel or are looking to be led by the Spirit in a kind of a mysterious or a special way, they feel that, I don't know what's wrong with me. I, I prayed about something and I got no answer. I, I prayed about something and it, it went wrong. It didn't go well. And so if I was being led by the Spirit, it's, then that, God would have opened up the door. And I've, I've shared with this group before, I know some of you weren't here, that there was a time in my life that I had five opportunities, job opportunities in different places. And I didn't know which to take. And I spent a week, literally a full week, because I looked at my time when I began it. It was noon on my little desk clock. To noon the following week, fasting and praying. 
And at the end of that time, as I looked at the, the clock at 11.59, I had no answer. No one had called me. No one had said anything. And all the previous time, people had been calling, hey, have you made a decision yet? What are you thinking? No one had said anything. And the week that I fasted and prayed, nothing. And I'm sitting there waiting for that phone call to ring, for the phone to ring with one minute left. And I knew this would be the spirit leading. And I remember I saw that it was the old-fashioned clock that had a little second hand that came to noon. And I'm like, what did I do wrong? I mean, I was serious. I fasted for a week. I prayed for a week. I stayed up late seeking an answer. I wanted to be led by the spirit. I begged God. No answer. And so when that happens, when that's our mindset and things, doors don't seem to open, we say, well, what's wrong with me? What did I do wrong? Is there some kind of secret sin in my life that I just haven't, haven't I'm not aware of, that I haven't repented, maybe I haven't confessed, to, like I should, I, what have I done wrong? And it all centers around me. When we kill the context of this is important, when we kill the deeds of the body, the misdeeds of the body, the Spirit is leading you. When you say no to sin, the Spirit is leading. The Spirit's work, His primary work is to bring God's people, we can say, to a finality. He, he's trying to bring us to an end purpose. What, what's the reason you exist? And the Spirit is bringing us to that and what that is, is being like Christ. As my very wise and good friend shared with me when I told him, I prayed and fasted for a week and I had no answer. He said, well, maybe what God is saying is make a choice. There's five choices. I'll bless. It doesn't matter. And so we, we struggle and pray. I, I, I can go to this school and this school and this school. And I don't know what to do. I could take this job or that job, and I don't know what to do. And I pray, and I don't get a clear answer. Maybe God is just saying, just choose. I'll bless it. Because you can be like Christ at that job, and you can be like Christ at that school, and you can be growing and maturing in Christ in this community or that community. That's the goal. That's the purpose. That's what the Spirit is trying to lead us to. And when we sinned, when mankind sinned, we, we, abandoned, our, our, we abandoned our God-given place. We, we left God, and God, by His Spirit now, was bringing us back into that relationship and that maturity and that growth. In Christ, when you become a Christian, in Christ, you now have your proper place. You're in the right place. But in spirit, you now find your purpose. And your purpose is to live like Christ. He says, you are being led along. That's what the words mean there. We say led by the Spirit means you're being led along. And the idea is, is that I, I received when, when I was reading this and thinking about it, is you're led along like God is holding your hand. Like the Spirit is holding your hand. He is taking you down a road. And you're going hand in hand. And he's going to bring you where he desires for you to go. He dwells in you. He leads you. He doesn't drive you. He doesn't push you. 
This is the nature of God's Spirit in so many ways of just leading us along. And it means continually, every day, leading us, not just those special times, not just when we're having problems, not just when we're struggling with things, but it's an everyday leading, bringing us along, this gentle leading. It's the breath of God, as we described last week, that is moving us gently along toward maturity in Christ. And so as we are being led, we need to be listening. And part of that listening means obeying. We need to obey the Spirit's call. He doesn't operate apart from the written word here. We hold His words dear in our heart. We read them. We study them. We see what He says. We store them up. And we need to compare any kind of inward feeling that we have with, with what the Word of, of God is actually saying. And there's this mutual and complementary activity that's going on between you and the Spirit, between you and Christ. Uh, the Christian's activity, we saw in the previous verse, is kill the misdeeds of the body, put to death the misdeeds of the body. As you go through life and you see things that you go, that's wrong, he says, kill it. Kill it. That's your activity. And the Spirit leads us in believing that's what we should do. As you read the scripture, you know, sometimes, I mean, some things are so obvious. We know it's obvious. I, I shouldn't kill someone. Okay, that's obvious. But it, it's those little, you know, those little attitudes, those little being snappy and, you know, being ugly to people and little put-downs and those, those things that sometimes we, we're really, we need to be refined by the Spirit there. And the only way we can do that is in our study of God's Word. He's, he's, helping us see, well, that's wrong. That was a bad attitude. That was a bad way of saying that. I, I, I didn't mean to hurt that person's feeling, but I need to change that part of me. And so as the, the activity of the, spirit, of, of the believers, as we put to death these deeds of the body, that's evidence of the Spirit's work in us. And the activity of the Spirit in us is telling us those things are wrong. That's what it means by being led by the the Spirit. It's not a mysterious leading. It's, it's the conviction of sin in my life. As I look at my life, not your life, but if I look at my life and my circumstances and my situations and what I'm doing and how I'm responding, that's what I need to be looking at. And I see sin, I'm compelled by the Spirit to repent, to change, to say, that, that's wrong. I need to change that part of me. It's this constant fighting of sin every day in my life. It's centering my life in the life of Christ. That's all it means to be led by the Spirit. And then he says, those who are led by the spirits are sons of God. You know, this is another area that our culture is a little bit sensitive. You know, we use the word sons of God and, and some people feel like that's demeaning to women. Well, the Bible also calls us the bride of Christ. That's not demeaning to men. <laughs> you know, it's just trying to describe a relationship. And so he uses these words. And in his day and time, the word son was the primary person who inherited, and this, this is going to be important as we go through the rest of these verses, it's going to talk about this. The primary person who inherited was the oldest son. We'll see this more. And so when he uses sons of God, he's not saying males. He's saying those who are going to have an inheritance. And so you're sons of, do, uh, uh, of God. And so in our culture, yes, it's okay to say and daughters. All right, You are a child of God. You are a daughter of God. 
And just like in, in our will that I have, I have two daughters and a son, and they all have an inheritance. Back in Paul's day, the daughters, the best they could get was married off to someone. And so this is, this is why he uses that word, sons of God. He's not excluding women. But he's saying, look at yourself, male or female, as a privileged child of God. That's his point. And here's the marvelous truth. And we're going to really expand on it in the next verse. We were once slaves, slaves to sin, under the power of sin, under the rule and control and, and authority of sin. And then we participated, as we looked in Romans chapter 6, in the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. And we came up to walk this new life. And we went from slaves to sin to slaves of righteousness. And now, at this point, for the first time, he uses this word, this word sons of God. Now... He has elevated us to those who will inherit. He has elevated us to his children, to sons of God. In one sense, yes, in one sense we are slaves to God. In one sense we are a bride. But in this sense he wants us to see us in a new light that we are inheritors. We are sons and daughters of God. And you know, when I thought of this, Man, what, what, what better motivation for killing the misdeeds of the body? What better motivation is there to put aside those old ways than this one truth? God looks at you and says, you're my child. You're my child. I'm going to shape you into the conduct of me. I want you to be like me, God says. I want you to look at yourself as sons and daughters and children ready for an inheritance. You're, uh, the word son means you're older and you're maturing, you're growing up, all those good things. And later on he's going to use the word, in fact in the next verse he's going to use the word children and that gives the idea of affection and dearness and closeness. And so Paul is using both of these ideas in one sense he's saying, look you're like little children of God. He's going to protect you and he's, you're dear to him. He has an affection for you. And besides that, you're his son. You're, you're the one who's going to inherit. You're going to have an inheritance. And, and we'll see how where he says the older son has the inheritance. That's Jesus. But he says you're co-inheritors. You're going to inherit too. And so you're being led by the Spirit. He holds our hand. He guides us. And sometimes we're like mature children. We cooperate. We go along, we do as our Father says, and sometimes we're like those little children resisting. You ever held a little child's hand when you're trying to cross the road or something, and they're resisting, they're just pulling on you? I know sometimes we act that way too. And in those times, God doesn't let go. He wants you to change. He wants you to, to be led by His Spirit, to be the child that He wants you to be. I'm going to conclude by sharing with you four things to consider about being led by the Spirit, and then I'm going to tell you a story. Four things to consider when, when you're thinking about being led by the Spirit, and I really try to tie that into the context, which means you're killing sin in your life. That's being led by the Spirit. If, you're say, if you say no to sin, you're, you're killing the Spirit. Not saying no to the consequence of sin, but saying no to sin. You're killing the Spirit. But the first one is this. 
don't let your primary leading of the Spirit be urges or feelings. I think a lot of this has to do with maybe teaching and maybe emo your personal you know, emotions that people have. But there, there's a tendency, I think, really from the 70s, I saw this in the 70s, a real big teaching about being in touch with your feelings and following your feelings and, oh, you still hear it today, follow your heart. You know, the Disney, that's Disney's uh, theme song, follow your heart. Just follow your feelings. And so don't let the primary leading of the Spirit be your urges or your feelings. Let instead your primary leading be through reading and studying the Scriptures and I like to say, and applying it in the moment. See, it's really easy to talk about things we shouldn't do when we're in church. Things we should put off and put on. We're all, we all can say amen to those things. But in the moment, that's where the application really, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's when you really need to make the application. It's in those moments when I'm driving down the road and the person in front of me is just, they pull in front of me and we're going down uh, the parkway at the normal speed of 60. <laughs> we're going down the parkway at the normal speed of 50 and they pull in front of me and go 45. Now I'm a fairly calm person, but I really have been, I've, I, in my mind I've thought about rolling the window down and throwing something at them, you know. What are you doing? And that's, that's not right. And so in that moment, that's a silly illustration, but you know, in that moment, you need to be, if you don't know God's word, you're not even going to know what's right and wrong. In that moment is when you need to put on the, um, apply it. And then when you do have an urge or a feeling, make sure it doesn't conflict with the scriptures. It's okay to follow urges and feelings if it doesn't conflict with the, with the scripture. My mother said, I, I just felt compelled to call this person. I said, do it. That's a good thing. It, it, was it the Spirit, uh, you know, urging her to call someone? Maybe. It, and, and if not, it's a good thing anyway. Call them, encourage them, help them. And so I'm not saying dismiss these things. I'm just saying make sure that it doesn't conflict with the Scripture. I mean, she never is urged or felt compelled to rob a bank, you know, and that's an extreme thing. But, you know, if you have those, a feeling that I should, I should do something wrong or in conflict with the Scripture, act in, you know, without compassion or without gentleness. You know, all these things, if it's, if it's, if it's conflicts with the Scripture, don't do it. And four, know that being led doesn't always result what I think are positive results. You know, I've had many experiences in my life that a bad, quote, a bad thing that happened to me was a good thing in the long run. And so sometimes as the Spirit leads us, He leads us in a situation that we say, well, why did God do that? Why doesn't He love me? And maybe what I needed was a wake-up call. Maybe what I needed was a hard lesson. Maybe what I needed was, as he says in uh, uh, Hebrews, I needed discipline from the Lord. And so it doesn't mean that being led by the Spirit is always going to be a positive and beautiful and wonderful, and it's not going to be roses and flowers and sunshine. Sometimes it's going to be hard. 
Realize that when you're led by the Spirit. I want to tell you a story. I feel like I need to sit down for this story. A story is meant to be told sitting down. I'm not preaching to you right now. I'm telling you a story. And I need to um, preface this because there's online people and they can look at this later on. And some of you may not know me that well. Most of you, I think a large number of you do. But I want to show this first picture of my 10 grandchildren. There's a reason for this, okay? And if you look at those pictures, of course, everyone's going to say, what marvelous grandchildren. <laughs> You'll see that we have a great variety of cultures and ethnic backgrounds. Um, there are some in that picture who have um, Native American Indian in their bloodline. Some have continental Indian from the subcontinent of India in their genes. Let's see, we have French and Scottish and Irish and English. We have Moroccan. Guess who's the Moroccan there? Not even going to tell you. There's uh, uh, several th that have Moroccan bloodline in them. Uh, let's see, we have uh, black American, we have um, Rotuman, Pacific Islanders, Fijian. So we have this really vast, in our family, uh, mixture of backgrounds. And I tell you that because of this story. I didn't want to just jump into the story and people think I'm not sensitive. I'm sensitive to, to backgrounds, all right? We're not just all white. <laughs> So I was with two of my grandboys this past week. Let's say they are the ones who have been blessed with extra melatonin. Melatonin, the skin color. All right. There's one, I've, I've shared this before, there's only one color in the world. And it's, you either have more of it or less. And so I had a couple of the boys who had more than less. They were darker skin. And they're in the back seat, and I'm driving. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm kind of list, halfway listening to them. They're talking back and forth, and they're tell, talking about some kind of story, some kind of movie they saw that I was like, hmm, that's interesting. Didn't know they were watching those kind of movies. I asked their mother, by the way. The mother said she was unaware of this. It was at someone else's house, so she wasn't happy with, with that either. But anyway, they, they were exposed to a story. And in this story that it seemed to be said in the mid-60s or so, when integration was coming in America, there was a, uh, a, a group of white ball players. I don't even know what sport it was. And integration, the uh, blacks came in, and they were sitting on the bench, and the whites were playing, and the blacks were being not allowed to play. And then the, the white kids got sick or something, and so the coach had to put in all the black players... <laughs> And the town went unglued, you know, all they mistreated the, started mistreating blacks. And one of, the, one of my grandsons says, yeah, I don't like white people. And my other grandson goes, uh, oh, big dog, that's me, big dog. Uh, big dog's white. <laughs> and another one goes, ooh. Right. <laughs> it was like, unaware of my color. 
Ooh, right. <laughs> one thing I've learned from Jesus, now I don't always do well, but one thing I learned from Jesus is that he would take the moments, things would happen to him that were not planned, and he would take them and use them as teaching opportunities. And so it, it, I was being led by the Spirit. I, <laughs> I said, hmm, teaching opportunity. And, you know, it didn't bother me that he said, I mean, it didn't bother me personally that he said, I don't like white people. So I said, well, tell me about that. Why, why, why did you say that? What, what's going on? And they told me the story and everything. And I said, I was listening and I was like, yeah, let, let, me, let me tell you a couple of things here. I said, first of all, that happened. That story happened 50 years ago. That's when I was younger than you boys. That was a long time ago. And I want you to know your big dog is really sad when things like that happen today. Whenever anyone mistreats someone else, that makes me very sad. But I want, you to ask, I want to ask you some questions now. Has Big Dog ever treated you that way? They go, no. Has Gma ever treated you that way? No. What about your uncles and aunts and cousins? Have they ever treated you that way? No. What about your friends that you play with in, in the neighborhood? Have they ever treated you that way? No. When you go and play basketball and go to karate and do your sports, does anyone ever treat you that way? No. I said, ah. Oh. I said, you know, we've really been blessed. We went through some really bad times, but things have started to change. Things have changed. I said, there's no law right now. You can go to any restaurant. You can go to any store. You can go to any college that you're capable of going to. You can do that. Nothing is, no law is going to stop you from that. That's a good thing. Some things have changed. And I said, and when you grow up, you can be anything you want to be. I didn't go into within reason and with ability and all that. That's another discussion later on. But I said, you can be anything you want to be. Nothing's going to stop you. Oh, my goodness. We, we change subjects, and they started talking about all the things. They were just rattling off stuff. They, well, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be this. And they had like 10 or 15 different things. I said, good, good. I said, boys, something else I want to tell you. This is, very, this is the most important thing I want to tell you. More important than anything else I've told you. Does anyone ever ask you, what are you going to be when you grow up? And they said, yes. And I said, and you answer all the things you just said. But I want you to answer from now on. When you hear someone say, what do you want to be when you grow up? This is what I want you to say. And then I went yesterday and recorded it. I hope it works. Let's find out. Langi, what are you going to be when you grow up? A good man. What are you going to be when you grow up, Tui? A good man. All right. I said, that's what you're going to be when you grow up. I want you to be a good man. Now, some of you theologians here are saying, Jesus once said, there's no one good but God the Father. Read the context there. The point there wasn't that you can't be good, all right? He wasn't teaching that you're going to be bad, all right? That's, a, that's not the point. Part of the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. Do good to all men. Yeah, we're, we are called to be good. And so I want these boys and others, I said, when you grow up and you go out in life, and I don't care if you're a fireman or a garbage collector or, or own a business. I don't care if you go to college or don't go to college. I don't care if you get married or don't get married. I don't care about any of that stuff. That's superficial. I didn't use the word superficial, but I'm telling you. But I said, but I want you to be good when you grow up. 
I want you to be a good man when you grow up. That's what's important. And then when my granddaughter, when I was talking to her, she was not with us at that time. Later on, I was telling her, when you grow up, I want you to be a good woman. And I said, now, as a Christian, you're a young Christian. You know what that means, being good? Learning to be like Jesus. And see, my application is this. We, if you're in Christ, are sons of God. We are daughters of God. That's who we are. And we are called by God to grow up. God wants us to grow up. I don't, I, I'm, I'm telling you, same as my grandkids, I don't care what color you are. I don't care what job you have. I don't care what education you have. I don't care if you have a lot of money or a little money. None of that matters to me. Big house, little house, rented apartment, own five homes. It doesn't, none of that matters. Oh, enjoy it. Have a good time with it. Embrace your culture. I don't care. That's, that's all okay. But what I'm really concerned about as, your, as a teacher here, as one of your spiritual leaders, is that we learn to be good. Learn to be good. You're a child of God. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. Be good. Be good. My paraphrase goes like this, backing up to verse 12. Verse 12 begins in context, and it's going to go all the way to verse 17. It says this, So then we are in debt. We don't owe our selfish and self-centered self a nickel. We don't deserve or owe anything to me. For if one lives and exists for me, then that person is knocking on the door of death. But the one who is outward focused toward God's spirit and his ways are in a constant battle. You continually put up a fight to the death each time selfish me raises its head in defiance of God. And this daily battle isn't through one's own power, but by the spirit's strength in you. By fighting selfish me, you will live. For all those who are walking hand in hand with the Spirit, going from one daily fight with self to the next, ever moving toward Christ-likeness, these, and only these, are sons and daughters of God. God bless us as we go out and learn to be good.